0: well howdy y'all welcome back to once upon a time in Texas with episode number 55 I am your host Michael Mitchell and uh, you know it's been a pretty good week since last week we've gotten some good rain which we're always pretty proud of here in North Texas the uh, American Legion that charters our uh, oh charters our Scout troop had their big big uh, Barbecue, cook-off competition. It was amazing. I got to participate in the judging of the steak competition Friday night, um, which was pretty dang good. They had 22 steak entries. And uh, so I got to try out 11 of them. And uh, the one that I was blown away by um, ended up winning, you know, top prize for that. It was phenomenal. I mean, the guy did say he used, you know, good Wagyu meat, uh, corn-fed Wagyu meat, and uh, he had injected it, I guess, maybe with garlic butter, whatever. Oh, my God. It was just so tender. It was amazing. But we got rain throughout the day, so I don't know if they raised as much money as uh, they wanted to, but, you know, it is what it is. Um, So that was Friday night and uh, most of the day Saturday. Scouts, you know, came out and helped with all that. And then my son's troop had Scout Sunday at the United Methodist Church that charters them. And so we went um, and Scout Sunday is always done in February, um, usually right around February 8th because the Boy Scouts were chartered in the United States on February 8th, 1910. So we normally have Um, since most units are chartered by churches, we normally have Scout Sunday where we participate in worship service and stuff like that, which we did and it was good. Um, so yeah, that, that was with my son, uh, daughter number one and daughter number two were involved with the, uh, American Legion stuff because that's who charters their troop, which is troop two. Um, but then daughter number two is involved in Color Guard, and so we've been going to Dallas a lot. Well, and I guess it's really not Color Guard right now. It's Winter Guard. Um, I'll be honest, guys. I, I knew that Color Guard was a thing and that they traveled with the band and they did the flags. And I did not know Winter Guard was a thing and a whole competition, but holy crap. Not only is it a thing, it is a thing. I mean, holy smokes. Uh, yeah, there's a lot to it. And so, anyway, that's been interesting and is costing way more than I ever thought it would or should. But you know what? She's having a great time and enjoys doing it. And she has now sucked daughter number one into going and assisting as floor crew. Because, yes, they have floors that they pull out and they only get like nine and a half seconds to pull their floor out and unfold it and it's it's a whole thing. Like I y'all, I can't even explain it. It's just it's there, it's a competition, and it's serious. So yeah, uh phew. So that was our weekend. You know, and I I mean just just fun. Fun, busy, and we have a good time. It's blowing and going all the time. And daughter number one met with an engineer to start drawing out her Eagle Scout project so that she can present it to both the organization and our Boy Scout Council for approval to do it. And so the engineer showed her a lot more than I think she ever wanted to know about such things, Uh, but she picked it up quick and had a great time. So yeah, um, it's been busy, but it's good. I had a friend, uh, Sloan up in Oregon, who said, uh, do you ever sleep? And the answer is, yeah. I mean, we sleep, and when we sleep, we sleep hard. Um, but when we're awake, uh, we are moving and shaking kind of all the time. It's rare that, that we are home early and just get to sit around and chillax. All right, so... This month is Black History Month and and I'll be honest I I'd, I'd kind of forgotten about it. I just hadn't seen a lot about it. That's not a slide on the month or anything like that. It's just we've been busy. And and I guess I hadn't noticed. Normally we see stuff on TV and everything about it and I you know it, it didn't occur to me. And so this is going to be part 1 of 2. And Really, I want to take a look at how African Americans, or blacks, whatever you prefer, came to be in Texas, and some of the facts and figures um, there are in our fair state. Part two, we're going to discuss really some of the more notable African American Texans that I can find. So before we take a look at Black History Month here in Texas, I've like to thank our sponsors, as always, which is me and Victory Home Loans. I know there are tons of people out there moving in Texas and Oklahoma, where I am licensed, but also in the 13 other states that we serve, and uh, I know a lot of y'all do, too. So if you know somebody that's moving really anywhere in the United States, tell them to give me a holler. Give me a shot. Let's have a little fun. See if I can get them into a home. If I'm not in their particular state, then I have friends through the broker network that I can hook them up with because, you know, brokers save you money. That's really what it comes down to. It's the same thing like you go to an insurance broker. That's their job. So rather than going to a, a bank or something like that that normally only has one line or, or basically one lender, one product, that they can take you to. Uh, I think we have something like 40. I don't know. I haven't I haven't counted. But we have a bunch. And so really that's kind of what we do. It's uh, everything we do is custom. And so you know it, it's kind of like. Going to a car lot. And if you really need a car. You just buy what they have. Versus ordering exactly what you want. And so as far as home loans go. When you go to a broker like me, you basically get to customize more or less what you want and we're finding you the best deal. That's how it works. So why not get something custom, fits your bill, and have a little fun, work with somebody like me. So again, if you are moving or you know somebody moving, tell them to look me up, give them, give me a holler, and... Uh, Find me at T H E dot com, And uh, if I can help you, I'd sure love to help you. Um, if I'm not registered in the state you're in, then we'll look and see if Victory Home Loans is. If it is, then I can continue to help you with one of my teammates. And then if not, like I said, I'll hook you up with a broker that I know in your state and make it happen. And so... I love helping people get into houses and making that dream come true. So as always, remember, I sell dreams, not mortgages. So there you go. So Black History Month, where did I get this week's idea? And, you know, a lot of people seem to think that I sit down, you know, one day a month and I just kind of plan out the whole month and do these. And really, I don't. Normally, I'm sweating it. Um, Because I always post these on Wednesday at 5 a.m., but I load them up sometime on Tuesday, and and as of right now, it's Tuesday morning. (laughs) I was going to sit down and do this podcast like an hour ago, um, but then my wife texted, and uh, a student of hers had some projectile vomiting going on, and apparently a little bit of the splatter (laughs) hit her, so she's like, I'm going to be coming home, i got to change. And I was like, well, I'll wait to do the podcast until she leaves. So, anyway, um, but the idea for this week came from a good friend of mine. This good friend, his name is Herb Griffin, or Herbert Griffin. And uh, Herb and his family have been family friends of ours as, as far back as I can remember, um, pretty far. Uh, he and Dad became friends through their uh, Army Special Forces unit in Tulsa. Um, Herb and dad were both reservists and Herb would go on or he would come up and stay with us when we lived in uh, Hominy, Oklahoma. If anybody's from Oklahoma or Hominy, shout out. Um, But then he would ride with dad for their weekend duty stuff over in, in Tulsa. And so Herb was and still is just an absolutely amazing guy. One of the best people that that I I know, and so he and I keep in touch through Facebook, and last night he sent me a Facebook message about uh, a lady in Georgia that started the first black Girl Scout troop in Georgia. Uh, He knows I like history and and scouting as a whole, which includes Girl Scouts, Boy Scouts, all that, and so, you know, it was kind of cool loved the history and then that got me thinking you know it, it hit me that it's black history month and then that kind of went to famous black texans etc etc cetera, et cetera, and you know well here we are that's really kind of what it comes down to so first off before we dig too much into this i want to i want to share a story about herb and just so you guys know and and we're going to talk more about him i'm going to tell some more stories because i've got some pretty funny stories that include Herb. And so... I'm going to tell more about him next week. But but this is still one of my favorites. So Herb became a minister. And a Methodist minister. And served active duty with the Navy. Recently retired. I think he retired about a year or so ago. Um, I hated that I was not able to go to his retirement. But Dad did. And Dad said it was amazing. Um so when my wife and I were planning our wedding, I mean, we couldn't think of anyone better than Herb to come be the minister and officiate our wedding. And, you know, in the Methodist church, there's a little bit to that, like the, the pastor over the church or the minister over that particular church kind of has to agree and say, yes, you can do it. And we got married in a Methodist church, so they had to make sure that, you know, Herb was in fact Methodist. And uh, anyway, he flew in from wherever he was in the world. I, I think he was just in California, um, but you know, he flew in from wherever he was and came and officiated our wedding. Was there for our wedding day um, with his wonderful wife Elena, and just made it a a really you know special day for us. Gave some good messages, and we had some good laughs. And so. Uh, but let's go back a little bit. I want to go back to when I was like seven years old. Um, dad and I had gone to a, a karate camp somewhere in Oklahoma because we lived in Oklahoma until I was about 10. I don't know where it was, but it was in the woods. And, you know, dad had reminded me that both of us were are pretty allergic to poison ivy. And so I needed to keep an eye out for it, which I did religiously. Um, But at some point, I got into a a nest or a den of seed ticks, and I'm sure everybody knows what ticks are, um, but seed ticks are basically um, the same little buttholes that ticks are, just significantly smaller, and apparently I had a couple of hundred of these little buttholes that crawled up my socks and then went down into my socks, because I was into wearing some pretty tall socks at the time, and, uh, attached themselves, and in the meantime, too, I'd also gotten a pretty nasty sunburn, and, uh, you know, just, it was kind of a rough week's what I'm saying. I ended up having some allergic reactions to the ticks, and I had giant blisters that happened on the bottom of my legs. It was gross, you know, dad and mom kind of really had to take care of me, um, you know, and Dad found all kinds of treatments and stuff to kind of help get me over that. It was terrible. And so I don't recall how long it was after that that Herb came up and stayed with us. And I had bunk bed waterbeds. You heard it right. I had bunk bed waterbeds. It was waterbed top and bottom. And so when Herb would come to town, or really anybody would come to town, they got to stay on the bottom bunk because the top bunk was my domain. <laughs> and so... Um, Herb would come in, sleep on the bottom bunk, and, uh, anyway, so I was telling Herb about that, and, and Herb looks at me, and with the straightest face, that's what he said. Now, now keep in mind, I'm bringing this up, because Herb is African-American, and, uh, you know, so he looks at me, and I'm gonna do my best imitation, and and Herb, if you hear this, just know I'm doing my best here. He looks at me, and also keep in mind that I went by Andy when I was younger. So he looks at me and he goes, Andy, Andy, pay attention. Do you know what the best thing is about being black? And I'm like, what? Keep in mind, I'm seven years old, right? He goes, best thing about being black is that ticks can't see us, so they don't get on us. And we don't get sunburned. And in my seven year old mind, I just remember going, wow, I want to be black. (laughs) And so anyway, I believed this. Okay. Herb was studying to be a minister. He's one of my dad's army buddies at the time. Like, why would this guy lie to me? And, uh, Yeah, I believed that bunch of malarkey up until I was like, I don't know, 14 or 15 when Herb came and visited us, you know, here in Henrietta, Texas, where my folks uh, live now, where we lived then, and I said something about, man, that's got to be, you know, I I was in Boy Scouts at at, that time, too, and dealing with ticks and sunburns and stuff, and and I said something about, you know, that, that has just got to be a godsend, you know, and he's like, do what now? And I reminded him what he had told me, and he just busted out, just, <laughs> And Herb has the best laugh. I mean, he is definitely top five of people that I know. When Herb is laughing, like, you just can't help but smile and laugh along. He's just that jovial kind of person, and I just love being around him. And he just bust out laughing, and he was like, man, I was totally kidding with you. Like, I can't believe you believe that. And I'm like, you butthole, like, you know, I was a little kid and you were studying to be a minister and you lied to me. Anyway, it's a whole thing. I've got more stories um, similar to that. But yeah, yeah, that was Herb uh, telling me that black people don't get ticks on them because ticks can't see them and uh, they don't get sunburned. And so that's what I thought. So there you go. That's my take uh, (laughs) on Black History Month. So let's get into a little bit of the history, though. So what if I ask you which state had the highest population of African-Americans or or blacks, which I'll get into that here in a second. So I'm sure many of you, as I did, probably lean towards the deep south states, you know, places like Georgia, Alabama, Louisiana. And really, I suspect that most folks would lean that way, too. And you would be absolutely wrong. It's in fact, Texas. So the U.S. Census identified the black population alone. So this is black, non-Hispanic, which I found lots of stuff about black, specifically non-Hispanic. But the population in Texas is almost three and a half million, which makes Texas the largest African-American population in the United States. I, I had no idea. I mean, I know we're a big state. I know we have lots of people. I, I really had no idea. I, I would have leaned, you know, towards, like I said, one of those other states. Now, when we talk about density, I'm sure the other, you know, the other states, when we talk about percentage of African-Americans versus other races in a particular state, I'm sure the percentage in some of those deep south states is probably higher. But the actual sheer number of black, non-Hispanic, so population alone, uh, Texas has the largest population or community of those. So I thought that was interesting. So then that begs the question of who, who is considered the first black person in Texas? Um, and I'm sure it's not a surprise that the first black person in Texas was a slave because um, that's how the largest part of that population got here. But it came through kind of a different avenue of slavery, uh, I guess. Um, it, I don't know. It, it was not what I was expecting anyway, So, and we're going to talk about this. And so in 1529, a Moroccan Muslim named Estevanico... I think I'm saying that right. It's an E-S-T-E-V-A-N-I-C-O. Estevinico became the first African to come to Texas. Uh, he was from Morocco and was sold into slavery to a Spanish explorer. So arriving in the New World, Estevanico and the rest of his party, who included Cabeza de Vaca, who most of y'all know, came to different parts of the southwest United States and explored it. They were shipwrecked near Galveston Island, captured by a group of ooh and I'm going to try to try to say this right. Coahuilitecan. So I'm assuming like Mexicans from Coahuila, but it says Coahuilitecan Native Americans. Then they escaped trekked across what is now Texas and northern Mexico. And Estevanico was later killed while traveling in the state of what is now New Mexico. So the first Africans that arrived in Texas were Afro-Mexicans when Texas was still part of Mexico before the Mexican-American War. Enslaved Africans arrived, obviously, in 1529 in what was then Spanish, Texas. In 1792, there were 34 blacks and 414 mulattoes living in what was then Spanish, Texas. Uh, Anglo-white immigration into Mexican, Texas in the 1820s brought an increased number of enslaved people. So, most slaves in Texas were brought by white families from the South. Uh, some enslaved blacks came through the domestic slave trade, which was centered in the city of New Orleans. And most enslaved blacks in Texas were forced into unskilled labor as field hands in the production of cotton, corn, and sugar. Uh, some other enslaved blacks lived and worked in, on uh, large plantations, And in urban areas where they engaged in more skilled forms of labor, such as uh, cooks, blacksmiths, and carpenters. So, what about um, population? So, hang on. So, before I go much further, though, there is one thing that I wanted to kind of hit. So, first off, before before we go into this much further, I want to remind everyone, or let everyone know that I'm not being offensive as I as I go through when I'm using wording like black or african american uh, using it black and forth or black oh my god back and forth in this podcast some people prefer one way or the other um i and i never know what to say so i'm just using the lingo as i find it in my research however i would look i would like to point out if you're easily offended i may not be your cup of tea anyway Um, I just tell it like it is, and uh, history, while it's fascinating, is not always pretty, and usually the ugly parts are kind of the ones that are a little more interesting. So, yes, I'm using black, African, African African-American. I'm using those kind of interchangeably as I find them in, in my research. I'm using them how other people wrote them. So, Let's learn a little something and have a little fun doing it, all right? So, again, I'm just reading it like I found it, all right? So, there we go. Now that we got that out of the way, um, so let's go back to Texas. Let's talk about the population. And so, what does all this information really mean? Well, many African Americans in Texas remained in slavery... As most of you know, until after the Civil War, um, there was scarce Union Army activity in Texas, pre- uh, preventing them from joining the Northern Army. Some escaped over the borders to area where the Union Army was operating. And the announcement of emancipation was delayed until June 19th, 1865, when officials announced that slavery had been formally abolished. And we know this now as Juneteenth. And so it is celebrated. It was celebrated first in Texas as Juneteenth is what they call it. And uh, Juneteenth was celebrated in many African-American communities throughout the United States. But it was not until 156 years later in 2021, just a couple of years ago, that it became a federally nationally recognized holiday. African Americans left Texas by the tens of thousands during what they called the Great Migration in the first half of the 20th century, in the early 1900s, seeking work and political opportunities really elsewhere. As of the 2020 U.S. Census, African Americans were 11.8% of Texas's population, which mirrors the national average of about 12%. So the long-term effects of slavery can be seen um, to be present in, or, you know, in the state's demographics. The eastern quarter of the state where cotton production and sugarcane production uh, depended on thousands of slaves is the westernmost, or it's considered the westernmost extension of the Deep South and contains a very significant number of Texas's African-American population. So, Texas has, like I said, the largest African-American population in the country. African-Americans are concentrated in eastern, east-central, and northern Texas, as well as the Houston, Dallas-Fort Worth, and San Antonio metropolitan areas. So, African-Americans form 24% of both the cities of Dallas and Houston, 19% of Fort Worth, 8.1% of Austin and about seven and a half percent of San Antonio and so the African American population in Texas is increasing due to what they call the new migration which was kind of interesting um, I pasted it further down give me a second so what is the new migration the new migration the new great migration is the demographic change from 1970 to present which is a reversal of the previous 60-year trend of black migration around the United States. I didn't dig into that a whole lot, but it seemed a little interesting. So, 2014 University of Texas in Austin study observed that the state's capital city of Austin was the only U.S. city with a high growth rate that was nevertheless losing African Americans due to uh, suburbanization and gentrification. So not a high population in our capital city. In 2018, African-Americans had the second highest net growth in population in Texas compared to 2010. Harris County accounted for the largest percentage of that growth. So Harris County's largest city, Houston, is now known as the center of African-American political power, education, economic prosperity, and culture. And it's often called, at least from a few resources that I found, the next Black Mecca. Thought that was interesting. I did find a little information about Louisiana Creole communities in Texas. So it is a sizable population of people in Houston and that area through the 20th century um, and has identified as Creole. And many never identified really as black or white. I thought this was really interesting. The Creoles who came to live in Houston were descendants of a free mixed race population that appeared in colonial Louisiana in the 18th century. So 1700s. The Creoles who came to live in Houston were descendants of a free mixed race population that appeared in colonial Louisiana, like I said, in the 18th century. Sorry. Sorry. I posted that accidentally twice, and the first generation typically had French or Spanish fathers and African mothers, and I I did not know that. So the largest group of Creoles live in a place called Frenchtown, which is a section of the Fifth Ward in Houston. So in 1922, a group of Louisiana Creoles, particularly Creoles of color, some of which were francophones or creole speakers, I do not know what francophones are, organized Frenchtown, which contained a largely Roman Catholic and Creole culture. So the Great Mississippi Flood of 1927 forced many Creoles to leave Louisiana and they settled in the Frenchtown, Houston area. The Creole people, I can't even say that right, the Creole people brought their musical influences and Zydeco music was established in the community, which I love Zydeco. Um, they were relatively wealthy and believed in Roman Catholicism. And uh, it is said that Frenchtown was kind of clannish. Around the 1950s, young women from Frenchtown rarely married outside of the community. And traditionally, the Creoles opposed the idea of their daughters marrying dark-skinned black people. So, the Creole Knights, a social club, including 12 members of the first families to move to Frenchtown, was in operation still as of 1995, and it was called one of the most exclusive such clubs in Houston. Um, It is noted on some of the websites that I researched that Frenchtown has, in recent years, kind of fallen in to disrepair and has dwindled a lot in population. So another interesting Black population or population of Blacks that I hadn't heard much about uh, but popped up in my research and still have a presence in the state was the Black Seminole Indians. So the Black Seminoles or Afro-Seminoles, as some of them are called, are an ethnic group of mixed Native American and African origin associated with the Seminole people of Florida and Oklahoma. They are mostly blood descendants of the Seminole people, free Africans, and escaped former slaves who allied with Seminole groups in Spanish Florida. Many have Seminole lineage, but due to the stigma of having mixed origin, they have all been categorized just as slaves or freedmen in the past. So historically, the black Seminoles lived mostly in distinct bands near the Native American Seminoles. Um, Some were held as slaves, particularly particularly of Seminole leaders. But the black Seminole had a lot more freedom than slaves held by white people in the South and by other Native American tribes. And one of their freedoms did include the right to bear arms. So I thought that was kind of cool. So today, the black Seminole descendants live primarily in rural communities around the Seminole Nation of Oklahoma. Its two freedmen's bands, the Caesar Bruner Band and the Doser Barkas Band, are represented in the General Council of the Seminole Nation. Uh, Other centers are in Florida, Texas, the Bahamas, and northern Mexico. So there is a huge amount of really fascinating history on the Black Seminoles, especially in Florida, but I'm sure you guys are saying, what about Texas? Well, here's what I could find specific to Texas. So in 1770, the U.S. Army invited the Black Seminoles to return from Mexico, because a lot of them had gone down there, to serve as Army Scouts for the United States military. The Black Seminole Scouts, which was originally an African-American unit Um, played a lead role in the Texas Indian Wars of the 1870s when they were based at Fort Clark, Texas, which was the home of the Buffalo Soldiers. Um, The scouts became famous for their tracking abilities and feats of endurance. Um, Four men were awarded the Medal of Honor, three for the 1875 action against the Comanche. So that's a big deal. So after the close of the Texas Indian Wars, the scouts remained stationed at Fort Clark in Brackettville, Texas, which is kind of down by Del Rio. The army disbanded that unit officially in 1914. The veterans and their families settled in and around Brackettville, where scouts and families were buried in its cemetery. The town remains the spiritual center of the Texas-based Black Seminoles. In 1981... Descendants at Brackettville and the Little River community of Oklahoma met for the first time in more than a century in Texas for a Juneteenth reunion and celebration. So there you have it. That's a little bit of black history, some of it a little ugly, but uh, a little bit of black history in Texas for Black History Month. So what do y'all think? I mean, that's fascinating, I thought. Next week, episode 56, I plan to touch on some famous black historical figures from Texas and maybe tell a few more stories about me and her. So there you go. What do y'all think? Give me some feedback. Let me know some of the weird or off-the-wall, interesting Texas history you'd like to hear about. I've heard from a few folks, and I hadn't forgot about you. Uh, Again, I want to thank our sponsors, me and Victory Home Loans. Keep in mind, if you know someone that's moving anywhere in the United States, send them my way. Send them over to themichaelmitchell.com, T-H-E, michaelmitchell.com. And, you know, if I'm not licensed in their state or if it's not a state that we serve with Victory Home Loans, then I'll work through my broker network and hook them up with somebody that can help them out. So remember, I sell dreams, not mortgages. I love making people laugh and smile and helping people get that American dream and a home of their own. Thank you all for tuning in to Once Upon a Time in Texas. As always, remember, the stars at night are big and bright. Deep in the heart of Texas. Y'all have a great week.